Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And that wraps up our Mike Madigan talk. <laughs> oh, I didn't, uh, I didn't hit record. <laughs> Hey, your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, January 12th, with no Mike Madigan talk, is brought to you by, well, who knows? I don't know. SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Seriously, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink. Concert listings. Have you looked at the concert listings lately, Ben? Yes. Absolutely. Every day I'm looking at because I want to see Stevie Wonder coming to Chicago. Is I he? really want to see Stevie Wonder. No, he's uh-huh. not coming to Chicago. But I, I'm always, is Christian Scott coming to Chicago? Great p- uh, piano player. Uh, he is coming. I got tickets already. Yes, remain good. <laughs> I could go down the list of people. Herbie Hancock, will he be returning to Chicago? I think I we got know. it. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know. Just like that. And they talk about pot, too. Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. It is Thursday, January 12th. And this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Strange Coalition Thursday, and here's why. I got Alderman Rod Sawyer. going to bring him on real soon. Uh, Mayoral candidate Rod Sawyer, the Pride and Joy of the Sixth Ward. Pride and Joy, I want to say, I'll just do it off the top of my head. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. St. Ignatius High School. Uh, and uh, so we're going to bring him on real soon to talk about politics, his mayoral campaign, uh, his father, there's a picture of his father behind him. Uh, but I just got to get this off my chest before I bring on Rod Sawyer. I'm probably going to have to discuss this with Rod Sawyer. So uh, what was it? I've lost track of time. Today is Thursday. It's like Tuesday. Uh, the legislators and state senators were jubilant in the state of Illinois. Governor uh, Pritzker was jubilant in the state of Illinois. They passed uh, an assault rifle ban. And this is an aftermath, the onslaught of carnage, not only just in the city of Chicago, in Highland Park at 4th of July assault weaponry in the uh, state of Illinois and it passed the state house, uh, passed the house of representatives and it passed the Senate. It was signed into a, uh, to law by Governor Pritzker and there was jubilation all over, uh, at least in democratic circles, MAGA in the state house, as I said yesterday was uh, crying out in defiance. Well, today's time, new law won't survive. Uh, man, I cannot make this stuff up. Ladies and gentlemen, in the aftermath of passing a bill, intended to stop the carnage that is going on all the time in the city of Chicago and everywhere, everywhere in an attempt to just like stop a little bit of that carnage. There's already open defiance. The gun sellers, it's a bizarre coalition of downstate sheriffs or remotely meaningful legislation uh, to uh, have gun control. People rush out and buy guns. I'm like, how many guns do you need? Like, like there's one. Well, this could be the first step toward banning the sales of guns. So I'm going to buy like 20 more guns. <laughs> you already have 30 guns. It's like, <laughs> what is 50 guns going to do? You only have two hands. You can only fight. You know what I'm saying, people? Like, what, are you going to learn to sh- shoot with your feet? You can be have your one hand with the other hand, left foot, right foot, hokey pokey. I mean, it's crazy. And then here's the deal. Here we go. In the story, uh, the, uh, the, the gun shop owners are, um, uh, are confident because uh, the, uh, they're supported by recent statements from downstate sheriffs who say they won't enforce the ban. That is like blowing my mind. You're a sheriff. It's just a law. 
what are you now picking and choosing which law? Well, I guess so. <laughs> we saw that with uh, we saw that we saw that with uh, COVID. They're gonna pick and choose which laws they don't want to enforce. They don't like the law, so they're not gonna enforce. Suddenly, they're like all oh, civil rights act. I remember uh, the great Martin Luther King talk about unjust laws, but he was doing it as <laughs> one of the great civil rights leader of our time. He was not a sheriff. <laughs> now they're like. Oh, well, I don't like this law, so I'm not going to enforce it. And so the gun shop owners are going, yes. If there's resistance from downstate sheriffs, that means there's going to be resistance from the gun lobby. That means lawsuits will be filed. That means there could be an injunction. That means this jubilation by the Democrats in the state house will be short-lived because within a month or two, they're confident that their coalition of gun nuts, sheriffs, and right-wingers is going to overturn, lead to a judicial ruling that will effectively overturn this law. And they could, they're going to hold on to their stock so they could sell even more weaponry. We've lost our minds, people. We have lost our minds. All right, we're going to come back to Earth, uh, get some sanity uh, with our, my old friend, Alderman Rod Sawyer. Welcome to the show, Rod. Ben, it's always a pleasure to be in, on uh, on a podcast or anything with you. I get a kick out of it. Yes, we've known each other a very long time. You know, it's funny when I was uh, uh, moderating the forum uh, about a month ago uh, on the Northwest side for Rob Martwick. I looked at that panel, and this is how old I am. Rob, <laughs> I looked at the panel. I'm like, oh my god, I knew Rod Sawyer like when he was a baby, not literally, but he was a college kid because I knew his dad. Brandon Johnson, I've known since he worked at the New City Y way back in the early O's. I know uh, Paul Valsai about the same age, but I knew him when he worked for Daily. Uh, and uh, I'm like, damn, I've been around a long time, man. He's, You've been around a while, Ben, but that's all right. You still look good. You're, all, you. you're, you're holding on pretty good. All right. Let's. Uh, there's so much to talk about, Rod. You're running for mayor. Uh, you. Um, why don't we just start at the top? Uh, you survived. I guess, I guess survives the right word. Uh, my old friend, another old friend, he hadn't been trying to bump you from the ballot. Uh, and then he backed off. So literally what happened there? You know, when Ricky was on the show, he was defiant. You watch, I'm going to kick off J. Mile Green. I'm going to kick off Rod Sawyer. Next thing you know, uh, they dropped their case. What, what went down at the Board of Elections that enabled you to prevail? Go ahead. Ben, uh, one, thank you for allowing me the chance to be here. Uh, as it relates to the board, uh, it's not really much to talk about. We were, were confident in our position to dismiss his complaint because, quite honestly, Ricky didn't do the work. Let's just be honest. Ricky's, uh, he, you know, he, he dialed it in. He wasn't really there. He wasn't around. Uh, when we saw the challenge, we immediately, you know, our thought process was to immediately file a motion to dismiss and highlight how unfair this is, how unfair this system is. And we were prepared for it to go to verdict on our motion. Uh, I was very comfortable with that. They made the decision to drop the, the claim and we never spoke more about it. So I can't really ask answer you about what their thought process was, but we were confident in our motion to dismiss and we were gonna take it as far as we needed to take it uh, because we just cannot stand any longer for this type of shenanigans to go on uh, for people that just want ballot access and want an opportunity to present their their case to the citizens of of, of this great city, uh, it's so generally uh, the tactic when uh, employed uh, to tie is to tie a campaign up uh, in uh, litigation uh, sure. and then keep that from campaigning. Did that have did it have any detrimental impact on your campaign? The time that you spent uh, fending off Ricky's challenge. Well, the, the, the thing that hurt was the, obviously the, the ability to raise more money because uh, people were concerned about it. We were not concerned because we felt confident in our position, but it was, it did, it was an inconvenience. How about that, Ben? It was, it was inconvenient, but we feel that even though we were a little behind uh, in that regard, uh, our message is clear and we're in this thing to stay. And I think that we still have, I know we still have time to get our message across to the masses of Chicago, to um, let them know that our position is the, should be the preferred position and I should be the designated candidate for mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, 
All right. Uh, so now let's we'll talk a little politics before we get into public uh, policy and uh, and news around uh, the city. Uh, the politics of it is, uh, as I always explain to listeners, and I put in my column, uh, we have a runoff system. I can guarantee you that none of these nine candidates who are running for mayor are going to get more than fifty percent of the vote. So this is really a fight. The first round on February twenty is a, a battle to see who makes it to the runoff. Uh, and so every candidate comes on my show. I ask them. Uh, Rod, what is your lane to victory? What is your lane to make the runoff? So when you assess your candidacy, uh, how do you see it in terms of the key to uh, getting the votes you need to be one of two candidates who meet off, who fight off uh, in April? Go. Ben, our, our position is based on our, our hashtag, is, which is Reset Chicago. We want to make sure that people understand that our candidacy means that we are going to fight to have services directly towards you, the citizens of Chicago. So when I say that my path to victory is advocating for the average Chicagoan, the person that we want all the same things. We want safe streets. We want uh, effective schools. We want vibrant business districts. We want police to be effective uh, and and not to defund. We want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity uh, to prevail in this great city. Uh, we want our businesses, our restaurants, our theaters, uh, all of our places to be thriving and be the world-class city that it is. And we need to do whatever's necessary to make that happen. We don't want criminals running our city. We want good faith citizens, everyday people, whether they're uh, working, uh, picking up trash on 79th Street or whether they're in the suites on Madison Avenue. It doesn't matter. I think we all want all those basic functions and I'm the one that can deliver them to them because I'm talking about resetting the systems where to serve everyone, not just like a few, which it does right now. You are, are an incumbent alderman, uh, six ward. You're giving up your seat to make this run. Uh, yes. Was that a difficult decision to make to give up? You probably would have won re-election. Uh, is, is, was that a difficult uh, decision to make to give up your seat to run for mayor? You know, uh, Ben, of course, it was a difficult decision because I love what I do. I love my neighborhood. I'm born and raised in the Sixth Ward, uh, born and raised in, and still live in the Park Manor community where I call home. So it's always a tough decision. But also, it's not tough in that, one, i am always be from here. I'll always be a 75th Street guy. And I think my neighbors uh, and friends know that. And they know that I'm working on trying to bring services to them. And everyone in the city of Chicago, I'll go uh, on a larger level to I care for my residents and that makes it a lot easier. And, and secondly, Ben, I've always been of the opinion that public service is something that you should not spend a lifetime doing. You should do it for a while and give somebody else an opportunity uh, to take the mantle and move forward. Uh, you want someone that's after you to do better than you. So you want to make sure that you set up in place, you have the things in place so the next person can go further so I've always been of that. I was not going to stay here forever. I probably would have done one more term because, uh, you know, we can talk about this later. But I was initially when I first came into this term, I was excited about uh, having a new mayor, excited about uh, what we would be able to do together. And it just uh, spiraled downward uh, where the disconnect became and the chasm became wider and wider. And I just had to do something. So I could have left and joined the private sector and done something else. But my true goal is that of public service. I wanted to continue on public service. And I felt that doing it on a larger level, which was representing the entirety of the city of Chicago, was my path. All right. We'll get into the Lori Lightfoot question uh, in a little bit. We'll hold off on that. I just want to uh, talk a little bit more about your legacy. Uh as I'm speaking to you, folks can't see this because this is obviously audio only uh, podcast. There is a large uh, picture over uh, Alderman Sawyer's shoulder of Eugene Sawyer. And all you millennials out there, I'm going to tell you who Eugene Sawyer is. Uh, he's Rod Sawyer's dad. Uh, he was the former alderman of the Sixth Ward. When I moved to Chicago, he was Sixth Ward Alderman Democratic Committeeman, and I knew him. I knew him before I knew Rod. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and then. Um, he was uh, voted a mayor of the city of Chicago, interim mayor of the city of Chicago uh, in the aftermath of Harold Washington's death in that tumultuous city council meeting in uh, December of 1987, which uh, you can all see. Uh, if you watch, uh, you can see uh, 
uh, a, a rendition of it uh, if you watch uh, the great movie Punch Nine, the documentary by Harold Washington's life. Um, so do you feel that you're carrying on your dad's legacy? Rod, would you run for mayor? You get that Sawyer name out there uh, citywide. Do you feel like uh, that this is almost like destined for you? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. Uh, I, th that was not the intention. But of course, I always remember my dad. My dad, I, I, I loved and respected my father. And he was the reason that I got into public service in the first place, because I saw uh, how people responded to him when he, you know, did the things that he did when I was growing up. And, uh, and his mindset was always to help people. And I think I carried that on in that regard. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I don't, I believe in making our own destiny and doing what's, what's right by the people. But uh, I was looking at a sign that my dad had this morning uh, for the election in 1989. And it was, it was interesting because it said punch eight for the election February 28th, 1989. And here we are. My punch number is eight. And now we're going to uh, February 28th election in, in 2023. So, um, you know, the connections are, are, you know, eerie and interesting. But more importantly, I want to make sure that uh, people know that I'm continuing on a legacy of service in the city of Chicago. My father's um, mantle, uh, his tagline back then before they had hashtags and all that was Sawyer means service. And, and I, I continue on in that legacy because I think that service is what we do. Service is what we're supposed to be about. No matter we're talking about streets and sanitation, police, we are a service-based economy right here. Our job is to make sure our residents are, are responded to when they need help. And that's why I'm here to do just that. And I've been here long enough. I, I saw how it was done. I know the mistakes that have been done. I know how to correct it. And I know how to get the city on the right, right path. All right. Uh, and uh, while I'm on the subject, I have to ask you this question. Uh, I'm a big fan of Punch Nine. I had Joe Winston, the director, on my show. I had him at the Promontory uh, with Maya Dukmasafa and Leslie Hairston and Rosanna Rodriguez talking about the movie. Big fan of it. My one, he knows this job, so I'm not telling you anything. I don't tell Joe Winston to his face. Mm -hmm. My one problem with the show is how they position uh, Eugene Sawyer. And I feel very strongly about this. I know like a lot of millennials are, Ben, what do you care about? This stuff is ancient history. But I'm like, if you're going to learn from the past, you, you, you got to study it and understand it. If you're a political junkie, you got to study it and understand it. Uh, in 1987, and I know this is Monday morning quarterbacking, Rod, but in 1987, uh, the Harold Washington Coalition made a huge mistake. And they, they acted like one candidate, Tim Evans, was anointed by God. And that the other candidate, Eugene Sawyer, was somehow corrupt because he got... Uh, the white resistors, the white insurrectionists, if you will, in the city council to support him. And I've always felt that was a really bad decision to wage war against Eugene Sawyer. In my humble opinion, Tim Evans and that coalition, and I put this to Helen Children when she was on the show, Rod, by the way, should have just said, you know what? You beat us fair and square. You're the mayor. We support you. And then maybe we wouldn't have had 20 years of daily. Maybe we wouldn't have had eight years of ROM. Do you follow what I'm saying, Rob? But it seems like the message. Of course I do. Uh, okay, you know, ahead. Ben, and I'll say this because it's, it's very, very interesting. We can have a whole show just about this if you ever wanted to. Uh, and I can talk about this, need pen nor paper. Uh, I, I can talk about this all day long. The, the interesting about this was my dad, first of all, my dad was about to retire, uh, absent Harold Washington dying. We were, we were having conversations about that. Everybody thinks I was a kid during this time. I was in my first year of law school. I was quite the adult, owned a business, uh, and was going to law school at the same time. So we were having these active discussions. But uh, when Harold passed, uh, at the time that Harold's passing, my father was both chair of the Rules Committee and president pro tem, something that has never happened in, in council history, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware. Uh, no one has ever held two leading posts like that uh, under an individual mayor. So my father was the go-to person uh, when it came to getting things done in the city of Chicago. And when Harold passed, when his unfortunate passing, uh, my dad made the commitment that everything that Harold had initiated, that he was committed to getting passed. And he did that in 15 months. You know, when we talk about 
a landmark labor piece on all the unions. We talk about lights at Wrigley Field, the first ever human rights ordinance. Uh, these types of things, and, and I'm gonna tell you one that was in his disinterest, the dream slate, if you remember the dream slate, which had Richard Daly at the helm of the dream slate. My dad supported that, which was in his direct disinterest to support. But yet he did that because that's what Harold wanted done. And my father followed those directives to the T. And even if it hurt him personally, he did that because Harold was such a close person to him that he felt that he had to get all, all those things done on behalf of Harold. And the interesting part, one more thing, uh, Ben, white people weren't interested in a runoff at that time. They wanted uh, Eugene Sawyer to serve out the full portion of Harold Washington's term. They were not interested at all in fighting that. And that's all my dad wanted to do. My dad wanted to do that one term and finish and be done. And he would have got all those things done. He would have worked with anybody, including Tim Evans, to help him raise money, to help him raise his stature. They refused that. They did not want that to happen. They felt that their, their best avenue was to fight right We'll move on from that. Like I said, we could, like you said, we could do a whole show on this. Uh, and what I told Helen Schiller is how I believe it. Uh, it was a traumatic moment uh, it, it, for a lot of people, myself included, when Harold Washington died. Uh, people lost their minds. Mm -hmm. And that's about pretty much all I can say. Yes, it, it, it was it was horrible, Ben. I was I was right there from the moment the Harold was taken out of the city hall. I, I ran right over the city hall because I was right around the corner at law school and never left my father's side from that point on. So, um, all right, let's uh, fast forward. Uh, you're running uh, for uh, mayor. And uh, I remember a conversation I had with you. I'm not sure it was on the mic or not. I just really can't remember, Rod. Uh, you said that uh, you could not serve uh, as alderman if Lori Lightfoot uh, would continue to mayor, that she was, I'm paraphrasing from memory, one of the most obnoxious people you've ever met, uh, a bully, and she just was disrespectful to people. And I absorbed what you said, uh, and but I, I've been thought I thought about it, and I'm like, I don't know, Rod, if she's any worse in any of these accusations than Rom or Daly, Baby Daly, the the mayor. Uh, I think he was the mayor when you first got elected, uh, Richard M. Daly. No, uh, he was there. He left. Uh, I came in under Rom. You came in under Rom, okay, and I so can you, tell you the difference, man. And I can tell ahead. you the the, the difference. Difference is very simple. What I will say about Rahm Emanuel, uh, serving with him, he was a hard ass. I get that, and that's okay. I'm not. I have a problem with that. He was a man of his word. If he told me something and said this is what was going to happen, he was going to do this uh, for the benefit of my community. He did do it every single time. I cannot dispute him on one time where he told me something and did something different. He was not always the pleasant person to deal with, but he was a person of his word. And I'll leave it at that because it's not the case right now. In other words, you're saying that Lori Lightfoot is not a person of her word. That is correct. Can you give an example where she backed off? Uh, she flipped? Well, I can talk about a few. Uh, one, um, you know, I, I worked on police, uh, this, this uh, civilian oversight, for example. Uh, I worked on it under the Rahm Emanuel administration, then continued it on in this administration. When I first met the mayor uh, in our first uh, meeting prior to being sworn in, uh, I was informed that this was going to get immediate attention and be done within the first 100 days of the new administration. You know, we fought, fought and fought for three years to get this finally done. Only after, at toward the end, where they basically took uh, the ordinance that we championed, copied and pasted it basically and put a new name on it and, and presented it as their own. Um, you know, who does that? You know, who, who really does that with the interest of trying to move something forward? Uh, so we had to fight and fight to get this done, even though it was told to us that it was going to be done immediately. This is high priority. So these are just some of the instances that I had that you know, this just jaded me in, in, in working with the, the current administration. You know, I, I want to be able to at least know, I'd rather you say, screw you, Rod. You know, we're not working with this. We're, we're not doing anything to do with this. I'd rather you be honest and upfront with me as opposed to, you know, 
singing to my, you know, singing the praises to my face and, and you know, uh, throwing a rock and hiding your hands, so to speak. Uh, the headlines in today's paper, and I know your campaign has already sent out uh, a press release about it, but I'd like to hear about it uh, from you. Uh, and all my listeners are talking about it. Uh, Lightfoot campaign promises to stop soliciting CPS student volunteers after criticism. I can't even uh, get through the headline without just laughing in disbelief. Uh, a campaign assistant to Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, sent out an email to Chicago public school teachers uh, informing them that uh, their students could get extra credit if they come join the Lori Lightfoot campaign and do volunteer work for Lori Lightfoot. Uh, my first question is, how did you get the emails of all these Chicago public school teachers and the, 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 the life of campaign said they were publicly available. I'm like, I don't know. That was my first question. Yeah. Uh, ben, so that was my first question as well. Do you hear me? I'm sorry. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So my oh, question, yeah, ben, that was my first question as well. How do you, how did you get that? How, I don't have access to that. The other, the other candidates don't have access to that. How did you get the direct emails, government emails from all of these teachers and now here it's not just teachers now as well. I uh, I sent something to we're sending something to the Inspector General today. We got another some other city employees, at least one that we got uh, that got another a similar solicitation to donate to join the campaign on a government email. You know we get blasted if we send if we send community stuff that might have an elect on our on on a, on a banner, and we accidentally send it to one person. We're going to be before the ethics committee uh, prepared with a lawyer paying a big fine or, you know, or even worse. So this was done multiple times with intentionality. You know, you can only be a bully so much when people feel uncomfortable about being in their positions, feeling that they may get uh, some sort of retaliation if you don't respond to a direct request for electioneering purposes. You know, that's the, re the reason that we have. Got, we've gotten rid of patronage. We have the Shackman decree in place. This is an anti-Shackman you know, anti type of situation where, you know, we were instructed not to do these things and we don't. You know, and here's the mayor that proclaimed transparency and bringing the light. And they're doing some of the things that I've, I have not seen worse things. And I've been involved in politics for over 50, almost 50 years now, Ben. I have not seen something this bad, this blatant ever in my life and 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 also try to explain it away as a good government initiative you know i call i'll just have to be honest with you ben i call bs on that uh the fact that it's good government no it's interesting uh again i'm looking at a picture of uh eugene sawyer mayor sawyer over the shoulder of rod as you have this conversation your dad and i had many conversations back in the day about patronage in the black community and uh yes. he was very honest about it he was like you know, liberals uh, and Shackman do good do gooders. Uh, you know, they don't have to worry about. They don't live in the neighborhoods where jobs that need jobs, and patronage is a form of employment. And the workforce is the backbone of many communities in the city of Chicago. And I, he actually influenced me, Rod. I've always believed it as a direct public investment in a neighborhood. If you have uh, city workers and they're required to, to live in the city, that's a form of investment in a community. And in some communities, the city employees make the most money. So they're really the backbone, the middle-class black backbone of a city. So your dad made up like a strong pitch and Sawyer, excuse me, uh, Stroger would do it too, John Stroger, many conversations with him over the years. At yes. this point. And I grew uh, up with both, you know, I grew yeah. up with both of them very close to me. So, okay. And this is the thing, Ben. Go ahead. No, the trick real quickly. This is the thing. Patronage did create some uh, create the black middle class communities in our area. And matter of fact, I would say white and Latino middle class areas as well, because we weren't the only ones involved in patronage, just to be clear. But there was also a dark side of patronage. You know, what the mayor is doing is exemplifying all the dark parts of patronage that we wanted to get rid of. It's, the hiring part was the good part. You know, if I see someone that's doing good work and I, I recommend them for a position, I know that they're going to do the work. They're going to be there before nine and be there after five. They're going to be available to you if you call them on the weekends. They're going to be available for community events and, and, and other service-related events. That was the good part. The bad part was, like you stated, hey, if you don't pay, uh, if you don't give me those campaign ticket money, you're not going to work tomorrow. 
and they go to work the next day and their name is the red line is drawn through their name and they come back. You know, that was a bad part that should have been eliminated. The problem is that we got rid of the entirety of the system and not just really came laser focus and got rid of the bad parts and kept some of the good parts. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to relitigate some of the, like the force. And I'm not going to relive it either. They, yeah, I've but, been uh, instructed not to relive this, so I'm not doing that. No, but I, I just, uh, this this is a blatant uh, old man daily uh, patronage move. Uh, and you know what? It's, and it's really strange. Uh, I think I, it's more of a hinky dink Coglin type move. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> you know what? I got to give my uh, producer, uh, Dr. D, credit for this one because we were talking about this as pre show prep today. And he just he pointed out to me something that didn't occur to me. Last week we were talking about uh, we were, how Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, her Board of Education, uh, rescinded the mayor's offer for paternal uh, uh for paternity leave maternity leave mm-hmm. for teachers after you know and got the teachers really upset with this then one week or later they're sending out a text an email message to teachers hey come over for Lori Lightfoot it doesn't even make sense from a political you just no. antagonized the teaching force in the city of Chicago by this is like mm-hmm. uh anti attitude on maternity leave and now you want to say, hey, your kids can come work for the Lori Lightfoot campaign. Come join us. It doesn't even make sense from that perspective, Rod. Go ahead. One of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Uh, you know, so you know, we, we heard about this with the teachers. I'm telling you right now, it's with city employees. We got calls this morning hearing that uh, the same solicitation was made to members of the of the police department. And I know they do not like her. So <laughs> it's just bizarre that you're reaching out to people that have this disdain for you. But yet you're you're doubling down uh, like you have been doing. You, when you see something wrong, instead of just trying to correct it, you double down on the wrong and thinking that's going to make it right. And it does not. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, let's uh, talk governing. Uh, like most of the candidates in the race, uh, you say you want uh, to hire more police officers, better trained police officers. You make that point. Uh, and you don't want to raise taxes. So how are you well, going to pay for this? this man. Just go ahead. I never said I never want to raise taxes. I think that we need to be responsible and consistent about that. You know, it's not that, that that we don't want taxes to be raised. Obviously, no one wants taxes raised. But if someone's going to sit here and honest and, and, and be honest with you and say that my policy is to never raise taxes, they're being dishonest. And they're either that they don't know government, they don't know how it operates, or they just totally just, you know, selling you a, a bag of goods and, and expecting you to just to believe that and make you feel better voting for the candidate says he'll never he or she will never raise taxes that's not a responsible position i'm going to tell people what they need to hear the truth as opposed to uh blowing flowers and smoke and just saying these are the great things and we'll never do this we'll never have fines and fees we'll never have taxes that's irresponsible and that's reckless so if people are, are to the audience out here today if someone tells you that do not trust them right away i believe in a responsible tax policy so what? So in that line, what are some of the responsible tax uh, proposals uh, a mayor Sawyer might consider? Here's one that's funny. You know, I supported the mayor's initiative last year uh, or last a while ago regarding the moderate increase in the real estate property tax. You know, the problem I had with this last uh, last term, last budget, we didn't use it. You know, don't vote, don't initiate something and get us to vote for something. And then say how how important this is for our rating agencies. Rating agencies do like to see consistency. They'd like to see predictability. They know how we know how to pay our bills and know how we're going to to govern. I thought it was a good thing to do to tie that to a CPI with a cap, of course. You know, we wanted to make sure we had a cap on that CPI, but we wanted to make sure that as as uh, uh, expenses increase. We want to make sure that revenue does not get too far behind that we can kind of keep up. And I think that's a responsible thing to do. So should we have raised taxes this pro- pro- property tax season? Since our CPI went up, what, 8 9%, it went up very, very high. We should have raised those taxes at least a little bit. And that little bit we would have raised would have probably, on the average household, would have been dollars. Now, I know a lot of people got uh, assessment reviews this year, and a lot of the taxes went up because of that. But they did not go up because of anything the city did. But even if the city did something that would have been responsible, they would have only gone up dollars. Now I'm talking about 
30, 40, $50 based on uh, an adequate, maybe a 2% increase in the, in the CPI and into the property tax rather. So, uh, you're not you're not doing what was it uh george bush back in 89 read my lips no new taxes uh you're not you're definitely not doing a george uh bush uh no 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 because again that was irresponsible and see you know that was a very irresponsible thing to do yeah and he broke it he went back on it he paid a price for it oh he got but got him elected again but yeah well no you know about george big george bush it did not get him elected again yeah yeah no baby bush was the one who got reelected right uh that's correct uh, so, all right. Uh, one thing I've noticed, uh, it's not a profound observation. I think it's just reality. Uh, is there, is it's been a steady drift, uh, toward, I guess, decentralization, removing powers, uh, from the mayor, uh, hasn't fully happened, but I'll give you two examples. One, we're going to have an elected school board. So if you're elected mayor, you will be dealing with an elected school board uh, and there'll be elected police councils. Uh, with some uh, oversight, uh, authority, and power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's your two uh, two instances. I don't, t- two new developments that I don't think a Mayor Rahm or Mayor Daly or even Mayor Lori Lightfoot, when she first took office, had to deal with. Are you comfortable with that? Uh, or do you think the mayor should have more authority uh, and that this is an infringement on the mayor's power? Go ahead. Well, you know, I, I led on both of these things. I led the fight for elected representative school board. I went out to other wards and, and got uh, and got access to the ballot and non-binding referendums so that people can see how important this was. I led in elected uh, empowering communities for public safety. I worked on that for almost seven years. Led the uh, initiative of, of getting that put in place. So I'm no, I'm very comfortable with allowing having these things happen because I'm not allowing it. The citizens are saying this is what they want and they're doing this. And I was just fortunate enough to lead in these two things. And but I was a leader in both of these initiatives. I am comfortable with that. And it needs to go a little bit further, uh, Ben. Why is the mayor, and this is a, a, a civics class, a seventh grade civics class question. Why is the chief executive presiding over the legislative body? It makes no sense. Why are, are aldermen not choosing their own committees? It's in the rules currently. It's the rule that says aldermen pick your committee chairs. Why are we not doing that? Under a story administration, they will be done immediately. Why don't we have executive term limits? Executives should have term limits. Presidents, governors, mayors should have term limits. I'm instituting that day one. I'm asking someone from the state, you know, from the state legislature to initiate that right away. So we have no confusion about whether I'm for it or against it. I'm going to have that placed into the uh, uh, into the state legislature immediately. As a po- and in addition to that, I support uh, there's a, a young man out there. Uh, maybe he's listening. Uh, uh, Joe Ferguson. Joe Ferguson, our former inspector general, is also working on a reimagined Chicago initiative, which I fully support. Uh, we need, and that's how really how I got the reset Chicago hashtag was having breakfast one day with with Joe Ferguson, and we were talking about some similar things we both had, uh, we felt the same about. And he just told me we need to do a hard reset and reform the government the way it should be formed. Uh, you know, opening up it up, opening it up having a, a, a council, having real discussions. Uh, we're one of the few cities that don't have uh, refer, you know, elections by referendum or, or ballot initiatives by referendum. Uh, there's so many different things that we're not doing that other cities that are doing better, that are being far more forward thinking, if you will, uh, are, are doing and we are not doing. I, we need to open that up and we need to really look at the work that uh, Mr. Ferguson is doing and incorporate that in our city governing style. So you don't cling to that notion that so many Chicago politicians and so many Chicagoans in general have that you need an all powerful mayor, that there'd be chaos in the streets of Chicago if you don't have a mayor who like tells the sun to rise in the east and set in the west, which is how Chicagoans believe things worked when the mayor daily was the mayor. You don't believe in that then? No, I do not. And, and, and people would think that I would believe in something like that since I came from that system. But I came from that system watching how it worked, uh, knowing that you can still have an effective mayor. But we need to be true to the system. This is what this called. Our system is currently a strong council, weak mayor form of government. You know, we need to be consistent with that and make that work. When they say weak form, of, you know, weak mayor, that's not meaning that the mayor is weak. It's just how the government structure is, is made. And people need to understand that, 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 you know, you don't I don't make unilateral decisions. The council votes on it. I can veto it. 
and the council has the ability to override that veto. That's what the weak mayor system means. Uh, it just means that the council is invested with their true power by a member of votes because they represent the individual constituencies, I'm sorry, uh, that, that make up this great city. And they're the ones that should be, be uh, highlighted and, they, and there should be some collaboration between the mayor's office and the uh, council members that, are in the, that make up the legislature. All right, let's uh, move on to economic development issues. Uh, and let's move on to uh, my beloved Chicago Bears. Uh, I remain a Chicago Bear fan. I do not know why, uh, but you're not my thing. Neither do I. <laughs> so but I, I am, but yet I am. Uh, the Chicago Bears just completed. Now, a lot of my listeners are not sports fans. So I'm just going to wait, clue you in on these people. One of the worst seasons in the history of pro football. And I say this as a bear. I suffered through a 1-13 Bears team in 1969. One of the worst seasons in the history of football. The 3-14 and 14 Chicago Bears of 2022. God-awful team. So the season ends. And right around the end of that season, Rod Sawyer, I kid you not, the mayor's stadium advisor gave a presentation I mean, I can't even get this through. I'm laughing. Going to spend over $2 billion not to, laugh, to fix up Soldier Field so we keep the Bears here. I am like, are you kidding me? <laughs> what about meritocracy? This team is terrible. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, there's got to be better uses of that money, $2 billion or whatever, because, you know, if they say $2 billion, Rod Sawyer, it's only $5 billion, but whatever. Uh, then a stadium. It's already antiquated for the Bears. Uh, so this is me on my soapbox. I'm not running for anything except for podcast. You tell me your thoughts about giving public dollars uh, to the Chicago Bears for a football field. Go ahead. Too little, too late, Ben. Too little, too late. Uh, the Bears are gone. Um, you know, the problem with the Soldier Field, uh, I, I get it. I, if I was a, a football operator, the stadium at its core is just too small. You know, the stadiums nowadays are, are 90,000 plus. I think we're hovering around 60,000 capacity in that area for the Bears Stadium. It's just not big enough for them to really make a go out of that stadium. Now, not to say that the city of Chicago can't make a go out of Soldier Field. And maybe a, a domed Soldier Field might uh, present us some opportunity to do other things with that place. Uh, instead of it being uh, used eight, nine times a year, we can use it. 365 days a year with a dome. We can have events there, concerts, uh, other sporting events, smaller sporting events, all kinds of things where we need a large venue to accommodate. We can place them there. So the, the idea might not be such a bad idea, but the idea just for the Bears, the Bears are gone. Let's get past that. The Bears are moving to, to greener pastures. They're going to, I won't say greener pastures, but different pastures to Arlington Heights. You know, um, I can't say I'm wishing them. I do wish the Bears well. I wish them every success because I am a Bears fan. And I wish that we could have kept the Bears here. And I wish we could keep them here. But it's not going to be with Soldier Field. Soldier Field, let's move on from that. Soldier Field could be used for a variety of other things. And we could probably make more money with Soldier Field in the long run, doing a variety of things, concerts and the like, and other, other events, than just having the Bears there for, uh, what, nine games a year. All right. Uh, by the way, I just want to point out one thing uh, before we move on from this one, because uh, you you could have better use of Soldier Field without spending $2 billion to put a dome over it. Now, I realize we have something called Winter in the city of Chicago, but we also have dome uh, facilities uh, for concerts. You got the United Center. Uh, you got, we got Wind Trust Arena uh, that they just put in the South Loop. Well, so yeah, the only thing is we don't have a 30, 40,000 seat venue that's covered which, you know, could be, I mean, a Rolling Stone type of event, you know, that we could probably do in the wintertime as opposed to just waiting for the summer at Comiskey or, I mean, I'm sorry, Comiskey, at U.S. Cellular Field or at... No, it's uh, not Red even Red. USL anymore. It's something else. That's right. I forgot. It's done again, right? Guaranteed rate. Guaranteed rate. I'm sorry, yeah. You know what? You got permit. <laughs> Reinsdorf said, Jerry Reinsdorf, owner of the White Sox, well, he la mm -hmm. I got to give him credit for this one. They, they sold it to uh, whatever, whatever rate. <laughs> well, I can't remember who they right. sold it to. Guaranteed rate. Yeah. Love the White Sox. But 
don't get me started on them and this offseason. But anyway, uh, and, and, and he said, you call it whatever you want. I don't care what you call it. So I still call it Sox Park or Comiskey. Old timers call it Comiskey. I still call it Comiskey. Yeah. We're old timers, Rod. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I would not put, I hear what you're saying. Like, but so I'm, all I'm saying is that there's, there's some alternatives that okay. we could I'm, use that yeah. stadium year round. I don't know if I, I could tell you right now, we're not put that get, having a, ro- a, a facility for the Rolling Stones or Bruce Springsteen or whoever, some super band uh, to play uh, in, in the winter is not the top of my list for economic development priorities for the city of Chicago. That does me speaking. Um, well, we can't wait every four years and see it when the governor has an inauguration. We just can't wait to see Bruce Springsteen then. Right. Oh, he, Bruno Mars. No, Bruno <laughs> Mars. Bruno yeah. Mars right. uh, yeah, Bruno Mars showed up and he sang that song. It was pretty funny. All right. Uh, again, like I said, we, I think it's just worth a look. I think we should be looking at that as far as some viable financial options uh, for a soldier field, which, you know, it, it is a beautiful facility in and of itself. But, you know, we're going to have to get some more uses out of it. Not necessarily too big. Right. All right. So I'm going to ask you a TIFF question. And uh, it's a program that's the leading economic development program in the city of Chicago, uh, property tax. They increase your property taxes and use the money for subsidized various projects that are supposed to build the tax base and, the, uh, and promote economic development. I, I am totally behind the notion of, pr- of promoting economic development, but the way this program is set up, it benefits the wealthiest neighborhoods. Uh, that's just a flaw in the program. If the neighborhood is gentrifying, they have more TIF dollars. As a result, Walter Burnett on the 27th Ward probably has more TIF dollars than any other alderman in the city because his ward includes some of the fastest. Maybe even put together. Yeah. Maybe even put together. And Rod Sawyer, his ward, the sixth ward, does not have uh, far less TIF money uh, than uh, in, uh, Walter Burnett. It's not something that Walter Burnett's doing that's so much better than what Rod Sawyer's yeah, doing. Not, right. It's just he happens to have real estate that's gentrifying and Rod doesn't. Even though your ward... Uh, Rod is more in line with what the program is supposed to do. So I have a couple of aldermen when they leave would say, you know, Ben, you're right about your TIF stuff. And maybe what we should do is just make all the TIF money go into a common pot and distribute it equally among the 50 wards. Like we do uh, uh, the, 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 what is it? The million dollar discretionary fund that the aldermen have they each get a million bucks, whatever it is. I don't know what it is now, Rob, but in the old days it was a million dollars. And I'm like, you know what? That is actually a good idea. Uh, so well, I throw that out to you. Mayor Sawyer, would you do that? Go ahead. You know, uh, Ben, I'll say this. I'm not a TIF fan, obviously. I'm, I'm not a TIF fan because it doesn't really serve blighted areas. What you just described is what we had prior to TIF. All the money came into a pot. We made a decision on capital development plans that we can work with that have the most effect on the most blighted areas, which is I, what I believe now. We should be doing things that that hurt, help the most blighted areas in the city of Chicago not the toniest areas in the city of Chicago. No disrespect to Walter. I love Walter. I've known Walter since we were kids. Um, Walter's area at one point, one point in time was severely blighted. So I applaud him for what they were doing over there with the establishments and getting the things done over there to have it where it looks today. But yet there's still beneficiaries of TIFFs over there right now. And this is probably one, if not the, one of the nicest neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. It doesn't need TIF assistance any longer. Inglewood does. West Garfield, East Garfield Park does. Lawndale does. Auburn Gresham does. These are the places that need those investments and those dollars so that we can rise out of the ashes and be transformed as well. You know, it's not, it shouldn't just stay there forever and extend the TIF and extend the TIF and extend the TIF again. You know, once it, it did its work and accomplished its objective, it should be closed out, analyzed, and, cl- and closed out. You know, so I, I am not a TIF fan. Uh, I support certain initiatives in limited cases, uh, particularly residential TIFs now in these same areas that I'm talking about that can help people that have dated homes get up to snuff as far as their electricity. Uh, You know, we still have people with cloth fuses and and things like that out here uh, that have dated uh, water and, and, and plumbing systems. This is who we need to have the money geared towards, those individuals that really need the help, not making a Fulton market and even more exclusive area than it is now. And don't get me wrong, I love Fulton Market. I, I, I go there, I, I, I patronize it as well. But again, it's done already. It's already done. Yeah, no, I hear you. That was a good riff. Uh, and I just remember a mutual friend, Maze Jackson, telling me, Ben, Walter's so good at the TIFF game. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> come on, Maze. You're too smart to do that. I know you love Walter, but come on. It's just where you Walter. are. Walter's yeah. a great guy. Uh, it's just where you are, literally. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll leave it there. Uh, all right. Uh, I know I, you got other things to do. You got to get back on a campaign, campaign trail. So I'm going to ask you a question. Completely just crazy question that I would only ask Rod Sawyer. And I know this because uh, one night, uh, Rod and I were uh, chatting after a hideout show, and I was—I couldn't believe. I always think you're so much younger than me, Rod, but I realize we're a lot closer in age. You're only a few uh, years apart, right? We're yeah, I know. I knew your dad. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, this man. So <laughs> This man knows more <laughs> about black exploitation movies from the '70s. Probably, you're like the. Of, t- of all the people I've maybe met. except for you, Ben. Right. Well, no, no, no. You beat me. Oh my God, you mopped the floor with me. We were doing a we were doing a contest at the hideout. He mopped the floor with me. Uh, so here you go. Off the wall. Three greatest black exploitation movies, in your opinion, of all time, that people must see so that they understand this genre. The top three. Go. Wow. Um, the Mac. Trouble Man. Oh, I can go on and on. Um, a third one, you can either go Superfly, uh, we can go uh, Black Caesar, <laughs> uh, we can get into the, uh, uh, the um, what's my guy's name that, that Eddie Murphy played? Um, 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 uh, 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 gosh, my goodness. No, um, you're not going to go there. Yeah. Uh, uh, so right. uh, you're not mentioning the one, but I mean, I go, and you know what? The movies were all fairly bad. The soundtracks, some of the best music of your life. Yeah, uh, I would have to go. I can't believe you didn't put Shaft in there. Uh, I'd have to go. Shaft, Trouble Man. One of the best soundtracks ever, Isaac Hayes, and, and the greatest opening scene. The yes. opening scene of Shaft, which they literally the scene of Shaft was. Yeah, you're right. It was phenomenal. Right, unbelievable, and they stole it for. Um, Saturday Night Fever. Literally stole yeah. the opening scene. Uh, That's right. Dolomite. 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 Yeah, Dolomite. Oh my Dolomite God. is my name. Dolomite. I would put the Eddie Murphy Dolomite on this list, even though it's not technically a black exploitation. It is such a great I love movie. The Rudy Ray Moore Dolomite was just so, it was just so over the top. It was yeah. just crazy. It is. Uh, <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, then you got to put Fo- Foxy Brown up there. Um, oh, I so, love, oh, come on. We can't go without Foxy Brown. Absolutely. I get you on that one. That's a great one. Pamela Greer. Uh, all right. Uh, Rod, it's always a blast talking to you. And thank you for taking time for your campaign. And best of luck to you. All right, Rod? Thank you so much, Ben. Always good talking to you. That's Rod. So I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy at Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Foxy Brown uh, and Dolomite will tell you back home at Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for DeMarvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. 